0: what is going on everyone and thank you for tuning in to season two episode eight of the ronan bell show with me today is a coach by the name of bob kosh he's been coaching basketball for several years he's been able to adapt to the changes in the game and yeah really just a great guy really hard worker and just wants athletes to be the best that they can be i hope you guys enjoy and can learn something from this so let's cut to it and cue that intro Coach Koch, how are you doing today, sir? I am awesome. You know, I, I know. I see the fan broken. You guys can't really see it on the camera, but right when we walked in here, it was really funny. It's uh, the the blades a little bit bent. Whoever did that, you need to go get a uh, coach a new fan here. So
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> two new fans.
0: <laughs> two, yeah, make it make it two, two for the price of one, maybe. Uh, maybe they got a deal or something the store. Someone
1: else paid for it too.
0: <laughs> That's awesome, coach. So um, before we get into anything else, could you just introduce yourself to the listeners out there?
1: Hi, Coach Bob Kosh. Uh, I think most people know me from my high school coaching career, but in this area I'm known more for my private instruction, for my basketball work, and uh, doing clinics for a variety of high schools and grade schools in this area.
0: When, uh, how long ago did you start doing that, just recently? I know you've been coaching forever, and we'll go into that, but what about this thing, like the, the whole clinic uh
1: the private Experience. work has been probably about 23, 25 years. I was doing that at the same time I was high school coaching and I actually did it as a fun time. I did it initially as a freebie for different parents and players, actually from not even schools of players that I was coaching. And uh, ultimately the light bulb went off and a couple of people said to me I should be charging. so I checked on different rates. I know there's tennis coaches, golf coaches, baseball coaches. So I decided at that point to start charging fees. And uh, at that time, it was $25 a session. And currently we're 55 for a 75-minute session. So uh, many years ago, 23, 25 years ago, I started with the actual fee in the private work.
0: Well, you had to start. And you have to start somewhere. Obviously, when you do it for free, it's like Everyone wants to do it. And then when you start charging money, then it, you got people doing and you some different opinions. find out who's serious
1: and who isn't. Yeah, but it's... I was using all kinds of facilities. I was renting gyms uh, all over the place to make it work because in the summertime, I have my own court on my house in Norristown. However, uh, in the wintertime and in inclement weather, you need to rent another facility. So that was my game plan. I moved from place to place to place, always renting, Uh, always carrying equipment in. It was not an ideal situation.
0: Well, you have to kind of make the best of what you're given at at first too, but once you get to start making some actual money from it, then you get to start like building off of it. Like if you guys can tell, I have three cameras now on this podcast. It took work to get those cameras and I still don't make money from this, but when you want to do something, you got to invest. And it's not like you're throwing your money. It's not like you're spending the money. It's more investing your money more than anything else. Um, Coach, when did you start, like, playing basketball?
1: Uh, My earliest recollection is I was playing basketball in Philadelphia because I grew up in Philly, in northeast Philly, and I was playing at the boys' club. And unlike the way it is today where parents drop off everybody at their game site or practice site, for me, I had to take the trolley in Philly, about a 45-minute ride, get on the trolley by myself, go to the boys club, play basketball at the boys club when the game was over, take the trolley back, usually in solitude, I'm by myself. So that's the earliest recollection that I have. Um, How different it is for kids today because they wouldn't dare do anything like that today. Everything is parents pick up, drop off. Uh, It's valet service. I didn't have anything like that. My parents, my father drove, my mom didn't. So I didn't have an option. I had to take the bus or the trolley to get to play games.
0: Especially when you're, that's a whole different environment than most people nowadays, especially the people that listen to this podcast can't even like fathom or think about because they've, they haven't experienced it. Like taking a trolley, like kids in this area don't really know what that is like. Like taking a public bus, taking a SEPTA bus, doing all these different things that people were so accustomed to, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And it just blows my mind how some people don't even like think, think of that nowadays, how much we've really grown as a society.
1: When they think of bus today, they think of the uh, school bus. They have no clue. In this area, public transportation, to go to a practice or a game site. And that was part of my routine. It wasn't an option for me. Well, did you play college basketball too? I played at DeSales University. And uh, I think part of that Part of that story is, I did try out for Father Judge High School, and at that point, in that point in time, they had almost 4,000 boys, and I got cut and uh, decided to focus my efforts on baseball. But I continued to play basketball, but I didn't play at the high school level. And because I worked a year transitioning from high school to college, by the time I got to college, I was a different person physically, emotionally, mentally and uh, was able to make the team, as part of the first class, ultimately became a captain on the basketball team, and uh, put into the College Hall of Fame. So I went from an experience of being cut and not making a high school team to playing at the college level, and uh, very fortunate to be able to do that.
0: And it's like amazing to me how most stories start like that. It's that battle first with adversity that you need to experience to be able to push yourself to do that next thing, especially like when you were saying, like I got cut from basketball, I started working on baseball, and then I became this whole different person. Like that to me is amazing. When adversity hits, you don't sit down, you got to keep going. Keep on keeping on, everyone. That's what I tell my, my viewers and my listeners. But it's true, like it, your firsthand experience of it.
1: You know, the theme, Ronan, for us is wisdom and experience. And, and I've thought about that I've been so fortunate in so many different ways. The number of years coaching, the diversity of experiences at the high school level, the college level, the ups and downs physically. Um, The decision not to play high school basketball allowed me to play high school baseball at one of the elite programs in the city at Father Judge my senior year. We won a city title. And I had the opportunity to play at Chide Park at that time. And later, I would take the baseball job at Roman Catholic and coach that team to a city title. So I'm one of two coaches in a city that has played on a city championship team and coached the city championship team. If I hadn't been cut from basketball, I probably wouldn't have played baseball. I wouldn't have experienced the success of playing for one and coaching for one so I've often lived my philosophy of you make the negative a positive we have adversity I've been fired a couple times at the high school level coaching never after losing season but after a successful season and somehow you have to take the negatives turn them around make them a positive and it's all about how you view things and how you want to interpret them and how Aggressive, you're going to be in dealing with the difficulties.
0: People don't take that first step, and that's what's that's the scariest part. When you get hit down, you need to be able to take that first step on the way up because you can't sit down there forever. People get caught in these trenches, and then you stop doing things, and they don't try and make an effort towards that next thing. Maybe it wasn't built for you. Maybe that school, you know, maybe it was just your time. Even if you were winning a lot of games, but you have to realize that though things happen, they happen for a reason. I'm sure when you got fired from those schools that there was another opportunity at the door, right?
1: I I don't think sometimes self-doubt surfaces, but you can't sustain that. You have to realize who you are, what you are, and what you want to become. And uh, as I said to you, and as we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about regrets and things that you could change, um, as I said a couple seconds ago, I was fired after successes, not failures. And uh, I, I didn't allow that to permeate what I was going to do later. I was looking already for something else, making adjustments. How What can I do to continue coaching, and where, and how, and what's the next option?
0: And, and that's like a big thing. I think pretty much all of my last like two or three guests have been saying that adaptation is just necessary. It's part of life and that you need to be able to have that capability to continue to move in this ever-changing world, especially with COVID hit, everyone's world got changed. It wasn't just you. It wasn't just the other person sitting next to you. No, this was everyone in the United States and all across the world. That's what you got to do. You got to adapt to your situation. But let's transition into your coaching career. How many championships have you won?
1: I can't tell you the exact number, but I'll tell you what. On my legacy (laughs) banner that we have posted on the board, I can tell you this. I coached at five different high schools. Archbishop Kennedy, Roman Catholic, Plymouth Place Marsh, Kennedy Kenrick, and Norristown. All five of them have the word championship after it. Either a state championship, district championship, or district championships (plural), or city championship. Every one of those five schools, at one point in time, achieved the pinnacle of success in their league, in the state, or in the district.
0: Was it more of a pride thing for you to be able to say that? Like, what drove you to be able to, you know, make you, make sure that you could say, like, I want championship in those banners
1: was not pride. I, I, I've asked a couple players this question just in the last week in our private sessions. What motivates you more, success or failure? And uh, I think most of them indicated that success, and, and I say quite frankly, for me, it was the opposite. My first year coaching was in 1969, right out of college, and I played college ball for four years, and I felt I had answers. This is gonna be easy. We won our first two games. I'm really feeling cocky at this point. I figure this is easy. We lost our next 19 in a row. We finished the season 19 in a row, losses. The next year, we won three and lost 15. So my first two years of coaching is five wins and 34 losses. I thought you would see our story in Sports Illustrated in reverse, how they used to do that sequence in the beginning and they'd show, show success stories. They would show me as unsuccessful story. And then everything turned around. The failure motivated me. That's when I started traveling around the country. I went to Indiana. I went to North Carolina. I went to Syracuse. I went all over the country and worked for the best coaches in the country. The, the third year, we won 12. The fourth year, we won 19. The next year, we're 25-0. and 0, The next year, we're 26-0. and 0. Everything changed after the first two years. Failure for me was the motivator. The trick after that is taking that success that you've had and trying to duplicate it or sustain it. But fortunately, being fired from one program allowed me to take over another program and then challenge yourself differently and see if you can either take it over and create it or sustain it.
0: Oh, it's like a whole new, it's a whole new chapter in your coaching story, which is like part of the amazing part that you need to be able to keep flipping the pages. And that's what kind of like going to a new team. I'm sure that those, co- the organizations appreciated the heck out of you because you were able to bring success to that school and that program. But when you, when the time comes, the time comes to flip the page, go to a new school and start that new chapter. And that's what part of life's about. You got to, The moving part is something that's hard to understand and what you were saying earlier where you were you said when I realized that I was losing those first two seasons you took it into your hands to be able to say well you didn't blame anyone else you blamed yourself and you were able to go to these other places learn a little bit more and be able to make a better judgment call and make a a better coach out of yourself which is the first thing that you need to invest into yourself to become more successful at your craft.
1: My first, second, and third year, I invited people to come in and work with me and teach me. My first guest was Speedy Mars, the Speedy Mars from Roman Catholic. And he would come several times a week from Roman Catholic basketball and work with me and the players. Kathy Rush, the Kathy Rush of Kathy Rush Hall of Fame, would come up and do the same for me. So I had two of the heavyweights come in to work with me. In addition to helping me during the practice time, that's when I started traveling across the country and learning more about how to coach basketball.
0: In doing that, like these, these people come in are like high figures, like they they know what they're doing, like they're high up, they've done this before for many years. When you first get in that, was that like intimidating to you when you saw those big names pop in?
1: I would say no. And the reason I would say no is I think, quite frankly, I don't see this enough with coaches today. I don't see the humility or the desire to learn from other people. Those people are at the top of their game had achieved quite a lot at that point in time, and I knew that they were gonna help me. And I was okay with that. I was willing to say, I need to help, direct me, teach me. I wasn't intimidated. I was awed by their presence at times, what they knew, but it also made me realize, Ronan, how much I don't know. And that's that's great. That, that part can be intimidating, but working with the coaches and how they treated me, Kathy Rush and Speedy, were awesome. And I need to just do a sidebar for a second on this. The Inquirer did a feature story on Speedy Morris last week. Full page, front page sports, and second page. And I just finished writing uh, a letter to the author of that article. And, and they focused on several things about Speedy, but they didn't focus on things that obviously they don't know or, or just mm-hmm. not aware of, like him coming to my school Archbishop Kennedy when he was coaching at Roman Catholic and making the trek from Roxburgh and the city and Roxburgh up to me to help me out. That when I took over the baseball job at Roman Catholic, Speedy was still practicing in his third floor gym. I'm upstairs with 100 candidates trying out for the baseball team and every player came out of that gym saying, good luck, coach, good luck, coach. I'm turning around looking like, who are they talking to? (laughs) Good luck, coach. That's a whole different thing. And then when I started coaching the baseball team, we didn't have a home field. Speedy Marsh came to every game that we played that year to support us. Here's the basketball coach. I don't have a personal contact with him other than what we had years earlier, and he's supporting. So I've been very blessed to have good people work with me, teach me, and support me. Speedy and Kathy Rush, and the list goes on.
0: In the presence of the people around you defines who you are. I think I've talked about that on every single one of my podcasts, that steel sharpens steel. My cousin Alan said it best, that the more winners that you have around you, the more likelihood of a chance that you are going to win and become successful. And the part that you, you were saying that he wasn't recognized enough in in the article, which is something that is awesome for you to be able to say, because when you say, like, I, I knew this guy forever, and he did way more than you even you even think that he did. Like those are the things that like you that humble you a little bit because there is someone else out there that really does care about your well being. And when was the last time that you talked to him? Just as it been recent? I recently? saw him two
1: years ago, right before he retired, yeah. when they were hosting a playoff game, and we had a chance to talk a little bit. And I actually uh, took a couple players down with me: Tyler Mishak, who's now playing at Devon Prep, and Dominic D'Amito, who is now playing at uh, Pope John Paul. And I introduced them to the legend, Speedy Morris, who was hopefully going to be in Namesmith Hall of Fame. I understand that he's going to be nominated in the next couple of weeks, and certainly futuristic Hall of Famer.
0: And so it's like, it's overwhelming to me to think, like, that's just like another person. Like, at the end of the day, like, I know he's like this big figure, but to to me, and I hope that on, like all of you guys out there understand that, like, He's human he's human just like me and you like he, he I'm sure that he's made mistakes too I'm you learn from those mistakes and everything that is not going to be perfect I'm sure he didn't win every single game that well, he, he played in I'm sure you haven't won every single game that you've played in coached in but those are the things that like just happen there's always bumps there's it's never it's never a straight line up I don't care how much how bad that you want that line to be straight up it won't happen that's part of life that's what it is um Coach, let's transition into what about – have any adversity really sh- taught you more than anything else in your life? Like, what was the – I want to say the big thing that kind of pushed you to become, like, a better coach, a better person in general? What do you think that piece of adversity would be?
1: As I alluded to a couple moments ago, the failure of my first two years of coaching. And, and I think – the realization is that once you start to taste success and you realize the competitive atmosphere of the coaches and the leagues around you, you know you have to get better and you will drive to get better. My first year coaching, we got, first two years, we got thumped by Lansdale Catholic. We lost by 80. Archbishop Carroll, uh, this is incredible. Archbishop Carroll beat us by 80 and coached by a future college Hall of Famer, Muffet O'Brien. So when you lose by that score, you realize you are not. You're definitely clueless as a coach with what you're doing. It's not the players. It's definitely the coach and what you know and how you organize and how you prepare and what you know and what you're able to teach. So failures were the motivating force for me to achieve, and once... Once you achieve at a certain level, I think you become, you're certainly aware of it, but you become afraid of, of going backward. And as I said, I was more motivated by the idea that I don't want to go backward. I don't want to experience what I've experienced previously. And what do I have to do to get better?
0: And it's like so hard for some people to, to figure out how to get better. It's really not that hard. It's because people are too, single-minded to figure out that my opinion is my opinion and my opinion is right it's not true in anything that you do I'm sure when you started coaching that you had this mindset of like what you wanted to do and when fruition came that it it wasn't the exact thing that you had to do and that happens with like anything any job that you ever take but coaching in general that you have to figure out year after year that it is an ever-changing game especially like basketball because I'm sure that 20 years ago basketball looked way different than it is now
1: Ronan, there's a couple things I think I should share with you that number one as a coach, you have to be open, you have to be humble, and you have to be passionate about learning more. Now I've I've coached you here for a long time and I will tell you very candidly what I coached and taught four or five years ago is Neanderthal, it's Jurassic now. And I'll tell you what, what happened to me three years ago Uh, three or four years ago, I was invited to get down to Coach Brown, Coach's Clinic, and I was one of probably 500, 600 coaches in attendance. Dr. Mishak and I, from physical therapy, went down. We were one of the first arrivals. We sat in the very first seats that we could get on, so we were close to the court. And when you hear comments like, the chest pass is dead, bury it. It's an outlet pass. It's not your half-court pass. You're working on a push and pass, uh, the flick pass. When you hear defensively coach say, the zigzag drill that we taught and learned for years, that I taught forever, is history. Bury it, because while you're zigging, the player is going to zag. You, those comments and watching and learning from the coach change dramatically what I do and what, I, what I've learned and what I teach. I am incessant probably in what I watch with college games and TV games and NBA games. I always have a notepad, I'm taking notes, I'm learning, I'm watching the spacing on the court. The current court that I have out there is different than what you worked on when you were here. It is an exact replica of the Sixers training facility in Camden, New Jersey. The honey box, the room box, the four point line, the defensive line, the spacing markers. I've changed what I've taught. We now work on Rubio, Eurostep, Harden, low and high, Curry moves, um, Chris Paul. We work on, we never taught that with you guys. It It was pretty static. You go straight line to the basket, put on your moves at the outside. Now we teach players a variety of moves, how to get to the basket. Once you get to the basket, what are your moves? What can you do? Reverse layup, cup and scoop, hop and reverse. We've added so much. And and I thank Coach Brown for that because what became traditional also became stale. And because the game has changed on both sides of the ball, how you play offense and how you play defense, I have changed with that. And I understand that the game is going to continue to evolve. and as. An instructor and as a private coach and a clinician, I need to change with it to be current and effective and value for the players.
0: Yeah, when you're a coach and doing anything in your desired craft, that there's always room to improve. And it's the part where you're able to listen to someone else about that certain topic to make you better at, at it. Someone's always going to be better than you. If you can find a way to listen to what they're saying and then implement it, you'll be more successful because they are, I, they are most likely more successful than you are, so they're obviously doing something different. Obviously, you were saying, take notes on what people are doing. Figure out what's the best approach to it, especially with – I know that you're – are you a big advocate of NBA basketball now or are you still uh, – you like that college uh, For better? years,
1: Ronan, I shut off NBA basketball. After being a guest of Coach Brown for three years, I decided to spend a lot more attention to the spacing, the flick passes. For example, in the NBA today, there's very little low post play. Everything is five and out. So the cutting, the screening, the passing, the pick and roll, all of these are different today. The five, the five and out is different from what we used to teach. high, low post, getting the ball into the post. That's not the game today the ability for a player to break a defender down and get to the basket, floaters and runners and reverse layups, so much has changed. So for me, I watch the NBA game. I watch the cuts, the curls, the spacing, uh, the three-point shooting, and it allows me to incorporate some of that into what I do here.
0: And basketball is just like an insane game, especially making the NBA as one of like the hardest league's to make nowadays? I think there's what, maybe 5,000 total players that have ever touched the court of an NBA facility, whatever it is?
1: I don't know on that, I don't know what the number is, but I know for a college player, for a high school player to get to the college level, Division I is less than 1%, it's 0.9. For the players, I think, to go from the college level to the NBA is about a half of a percent. very few players are going to have that opportunity. It's – that's a whole different level of basketball. I, I just I can't fathom it. We so, see so much at the college level with the Dukes and the Michigans and Kansas and Villanova, and then you see very few of those players are able to go on and play at the pro level.
0: And especially these kids, like uh, – when the – the crazy thing about, like, college sports and then NBA or, like, professional leagues – Is that you have to remember that those kids were that are going into college, even at Division three, Division two level, those were still the best kids from their high school. And then those people in the NBA that play professionally, those are the best kids from that college level that are successful or overseas or whatever it may be. But you need to be able to adapt to that certain stigma. That you need to be realistic with what your goal is. Obviously, if you have a dream of play in the NBA, I'm not saying don't let that dream die, but I'm saying if you are in high school right now and you are 5'9", like me, um, I obviously realized that there was no chance that my MBA dream was going to come true unless I was extremely fast and can jump out the room and maybe shoot 50-foot threes so no one could block me. But looking in the mirror and being honest with yourself, I talked about it on one of my other podcasts, that you need to be honest with yourself to be able to achieve the things that you want to achieve.
1: Ronan, the, the problem with that thought is that very few people match perception and reality And the job of a coach is to make sure that you can identify the reality and teach you that because i found over the years that parents inflate the ability of the player. Players definitely inflate what they think their capabilities are. And it takes a coach to identify what the reality is, to give them a reality check. So that's part of my role on a private level, but at the high school level, at the AU level, travel level, it's the responsibility of all the coaches to define what their profile is, what their limits are, and what their assets are.
0: The whole, the whole thing that you were saying was, was awesome because I think that more coaches nowadays are having a bigger influence on players. It used to be like the parents or it used to be you know, your buddy saying, like, oh, dude, you can totally make it to the league. Like, you just got to keep working. You got to keep working. Sometimes you can work as hard as you want. You could do the best that you can, and your still best isn't good enough. But that's okay. That's okay. You're not going to be like that other person. Don't be a carbon copy of someone else. Be your own, be your own self. You don't need to try and work to be LeBron James. Be the best Timmy that you could be. Be the best John that you could be. If, that, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say that this is all I got, then you're doing it right, and
1: that's okay. One of the things that, that I've learned, and, and I, I was thinking about as I addressed your questions and thinking about how I'd answer certain questions, I think early on in my career I was more in the Coach night mm-hmm. model um, and I don't say that in a negative way because I spent four summers working for Coach Knight at Indiana and he was a major influence on my respect of the game, punctuality, time management. In my latter part of my coaching career, I think I became more like uh, a Jay Wright or a Mike Krzyzewski, two people I've also worked with and worked for and less difficult to work with as a coach. Um, the motto for St. Francis de Sales and de Sales University is gentle but firm. In my early years, I was hardly gentle. And I know that. I think, and I say it as a joke, but I also believe it. If murder were legal, I'd have been shot a few times in my <laughs> early years because I pushed people to the limit and it wasn't a please and thank you. In my latter coaching career at Kenrick and uh, certainly at Norristown, I adjusted, I modified and I'm a firm believer as a coach, you're gonna draw from a variety of resources. And you have to shape your personality and philosophy based on the input that you get. And the more input you get, the more you're going to diversify your personality and your approach and your philosophy. I'm fortunate. I've worked for 16 Namesmith Hall of Fame coaches in my career. On the women's side, 16. You don't know anybody out there that's worked with or for that many coaches. Muffet O'Brien from Notre Dame, Dawn Staley from South Carolina worked for me when I directed Blue Star. Played actually one of my Division One players played against her when she was at Dobbins Tech. My player was at Kenrick. Karen's Asia had to guard Dawn Staley in high school, and I think it the Dean Smiths, the Bobby Knights, the Jim Boeheims, um, Lou olson the number of people that I've worked for in my career have allowed me to shape a philosophy that is a combination of so many different people.
0: And it's so hard being a coach too because you have to, like everyone is different. Every single one of your athletes is way different than the next. And being able to cope with that for you as a coach, that if I scream at this kid, he might get it and he might work harder. But this other kid, when I scream at him, he, he just – he does worse. And that's the hard part about being a coach, being able to make sure that you know what each of your players needed. Obviously, you were saying that the whole Bob Knight approach was let me yell. You guys got to get on your stuff and you'll be able to do it. But nowadays, it's, it's like not like that. It's totally changed.
1: Bernie, this is this – because is, I want to address it oh. – as we go through this, uh, mistakes. And uh, I, there's two ways, and, and this was part of a study that was done comparing Coach Knight and comparing Coach Zusevsky. Both have won national titles. Both have been, they're in the Hall of Fame. And as uh, like I said, I've, I've, I've gone from more of the, the straight line and I never threw chairs. Um, not one. As coach, not one. Nah, boo. I went 37 <laughs> years of high school coaching with no technicals, not a one. That's and impressive. I was intense. I was focused, driven, but no technicals ever as a high school coach. I'm very proud of that because that's self-discipline, self-control. And one of my regrets is that certainly I was very vocal with players, very demanding. And I often wondered how players that I've seen since then have, would handle it. And they don't remember much of that. What they do remember is the individual accolades, the team success. They could care less, but at the time, the parents didn't like it, the players didn't like it. I was so difficult, um, and I I regret that kind of a experience. But the players, that hasn't scarred them. I had... Part of my Kennedy team, actually all the Kennedy team, was here a year ago. And uh, I was pretty tough my first couple years of coaching. And that group was so happy that they experienced what they did. They beat the best in the state. They were undefeated season. And they look back and they remember the good things. So uh, but I know I had my moments as a coach.
0: Every single person has their moment. Now, if you say that you are perfect, you're lying to yourself, sh- no straight one. up. No one is ever going to do the right thing 100% of the time. I think I've said it on a bunch of my podcasts when people say, like, regret. And honestly, like, I, do you actually regret being that way? Because I've I've talked to people and I, like, hear the word regret. And I'm, say, I'm thinking to myself that that kind of shaped me to what I am today. But if you had... Oh, regret you'd want to change it would you want to change that really or just kind of you look back on it and say like man I learned from
1: that I think I'd, I could have been more humanistic or more personable um, I think sometimes when you're so focused on the game and success and failure as I said to you I, I think there are three or four things that I regret or if I could one of your thoughts was could you go back in a in in the time capsule, and change. When I was fired from the Kennedy season, we had just um, lost in the quarterfinals or semis at the state, and I was fired. That game was over the weekend. I was fired that Monday from a team that was the best in the state. We beat every quad A team we played from PW at upper Dublin. and we beat them all. We beat the eventual quad A state champion at their place. We were good. We lost the game. I did not go in the locker room after the game. Um, I was more concerned about the loss, I was more concerned about myself, and uh, that Monday I was called into the office and my position was terminated, and I realized I should have been. I should have been in the, in the locker room with the players. They were tearful, they were upset. The bus broke down prior to the game, we didn't get warmed up, I didn't do as I normally do, and, and I was upset, and that translated to the players. And uh, That's a regret. And ironically, uh, I've met with all those players here, and uh, that's not an issue with them. Everything that they talk about is the experience is fun and and getting to that point. But it's a regret for me. Um, On a positive side, that I was terminated from Kennedy Kenrick, or Kennedy at that time, and I was hired as the coach at Plymouth-White Marsh, within three years, we're playing for the state championship in Hershey. And a second regret for me is that I had the entire team back from the previous year. We were good, I knew we were gonna be good. I had four division ones on the team, a high school American, I knew we were good. And over that summer, I said to the team, we will be in a state championship. We lost the game by three. And one of the captains said to me, "Coach." You said we would get here. You never said we would win it, and that essentially blew my mind. I I not know how to handle that, and I knew afterwards what I should have said to those kids: "We will win a state championship next year because all of you are back and we're good enough." I should have taken a positive approach, and I didn't. I wasn't firm enough. They thought getting there was good enough, and I should have put more on their pedestal because they were a veteran team. So there's two, one that's a positive and one that's a negative. Um, I put down a third from a going, if I could go back in a time capsule, Ronan, uh, my first year of coaching, I was so bad. Um, I made the mistake of getting on the court with the kids. You never, as a coach, fill in for players. If you're short, you do something else. I would get on the court and play with the kids, and obviously you can't coach when you're on the court. You don't see things, you don't do things. It becomes about you and not the players. And if I could go back in a time capsule, I would take what I now know, and those girls who lost 19 in a row might have won 19 in a row. That's how much difference I think I could have made. I had athletes, I would have done a whole different job with coaching. Instead of being me, I would have focused on the players and what I know. But I was so bad. And I realized that. So there are things that I wish I could change. I wish I could correct. I can't. And I'd love to see those players that I caught that I taught the first year coached and apologize and say, look, it certainly wasn't you. It was all me. I had four flat tires when I came out one night on my car. and The players did it. (laughs) And I look back on it now, and and of course, uh, I think I'd have probably flattened a few tires too if I had a coach that was coaching the way I was. So I think about that. You think about the positives, but as a coach, you also realize you screwed up. you got to correct... And fortunately, the failures and flat tires and 19 losses in a row were enough to say, you are not coaching, which will bring me to one more thing. And for coaches who are watching this, my complaint, Ronan, is that when you go to a doctor, this doctor after it, you go to a lawyer, it's a lawyer, if you go an electrician, He's apprenticed or carpenter. The problem with our profession is that you put the word coach on your sleeve and you're a coach. Well, that's BS. You're not a coach. You have to apprentice. You have to study. You have to learn. You have to be humble. You don't have answers. Learn from other coaches. Watch videos, study games. I, when I do clinics and I see all these coaches and I point this out, you've got to get better because you put it on your sleeve doesn't mean that you are a coach. You're coaching, but it does not mean that you're a coach. There's a lot that goes with this profession in order to teach what is supposed to be taught. How, as you said a couple moments ago, you have so many different kids with different personalities and you have to be able to recognize what they are and how do you handle that in a stressful situation?
0: I love the point that you were making about how you said that if I could go back and coach that team again, they wouldn't have lost nineteen games. This is the thing that I, I'm taking out of it. I know that you consider it a regret, but I consider that a success. Because here's the thing. If you would have said I if I went back to that nineteen or Owen oh, nineteen, how nineteen lost team and said, I don't think I could have like done better, I don't think that you would be the person that you are today. Because all this, if you're watching on YouTube, this is all something that Coach has built around his brand. There's awesome sayings on the wall. And if you were unable to be able to look back at yourself and say that, you know, I was able to succeed or I wasn't able to succeed because of that, I haven't grown at all, you'd be stagnant. You wouldn't do all of this today, probably. It's it's insane that that kind of, the, the fact that you're still thinking about that means that it drives you. Like, it can drive you, and that happened uh, several years ago, and you still think about it to this day.
1: 51 could, years ago.
0: Yeah, you're able to have that drive you to this day. That It might be a regret, and that regret that drives you to be able to do everything that you want to do, be a better coach, study some more film, make, make it an opportunity better for a player. Like, that's the thing that, like, sticks in my head.
1: Ronan, I I appreciate that. And um, I watched seven college pro games last week, all with notepad. And I'm able to transfer little things, quotes. For example, um, just a small quote, but it was in a Wisconsin Maryland game, and uh, Maryland upset Wisconsin. Yeah. And the narrator, the commentator said, Enthusiasm is a skill. It's a skill set. Now, we think of, when we think of basketball or any sport, you think about certain skills, throwing a basketball or a football or dribbling a basketball or shooting a basketball. They're skill sets, making layups. But you don't think of enthusiasm as a skill set. That's a great way of putting it. They were able to upset Wisconsin because not of their skills. They were enthusiastic. They out hustled, they got loose balls, they out rebounded they defended. The passion was there. So it's little things like that, Ronan, that, that allow you to get better at what you do. And then ultimately, when you're coaching, it transfers something like that to a player and say, I can't wait till I see players tonight and the rest of the week and say, you know, understand, you have to be enthusiastic. You have to be passionate. You have to show it. And it can't be periodically. It has to be Constantly, when you're on a basketball court. It shows how bad someone wants it.
0: Yeah, it shows how bad someone wants it. If you're enthusiastic, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say every day that I want to do this, then, hey, you must be doing it. You can't look at yourself in the mirror and say, man, I'm going to have to do this today. Like, if you're saying that, like, why even even do it? If you're working a 9 to 5, I talked about this with Coach Corey, and you said, you know, this is making me miserable. Like, I'm not even doing my work then obviously that's not for you. You can find something else. You have to have that enthusiasm that not everyone has or not everyone has in that specific field. Like basketball, if you were really enthusiastic about basketball, so what, you might not play in the NBA. You can become a coach. You can become a referee. There's other ways to stay around certain things, but it's up to that person to figure it out. It's not just going to happen miraculously for you.
1: Well, on the back wall we have two numbers right behind me. The number 87 is four by four in red, and red because it's a stop color. To my left, in orange, one foot by one foot, is the number 13. Now, you're probably not aware what those numbers represent. The 87 is an ugly number, the 13 is a beautiful number. The 87 is that 87% of the athletes who engage in any sport are average. Only 13% of the players who engage in sports are elite based on three criteria. Elite training, elite competition, and an elite mindset. And I tell players, watch the Wizard of Oz. See what the Tin Man was missing. The heart. Do you have the heart to drive the other two to compete at an elite level and to train at an elite level? And most players, 87% are average. That's a pretty scary thought.
0: That is a a scary thought to think that, like, like, obviously it's over 50%, but, like, that's way closer to 100%, which is – I hope that number – Drops. I hope more people can be able to become successful faster, especially in this ever-changing world with the internet and everything. But it's it's crazy to think that people don't wanna
1: don't wanna work that hard. Ronan, I don't see that number changing. Uh, there's too much competition with social media, and we don't see kids on the courts privately like we used to, like I used to growing up. Uh, there's just too much competition and the only outlets they have are gonna be travel, it's gonna be AU, it's gonna be high school. We don't have many outlets for any of these kids to improve. And if they're not motivated either by parents or self-motivated, that's not gonna happen. I have very few players that I think fit all three of those criteria, competition, motivation. They have an elite training program here, but that's not enough. If you don't have the heart, and you're not playing against elite competition, that's not enough to take you and sustain you at the elite level.
0: Yeah, you have to be able to match yourself up against someone else that's just as good. And that's in a- any aspect. If you're doing school, you might wanna study with someone who's a little bit smarter and you see what they do. And when you're an athlete, you're trying to compete against someone. You're trying to compete. I don't wanna just be as good as that person. I wanna prove that I'm better. You have to have that mindset in whatever you do. If you want to achieve the things that you want to see achieve, if you dream of being the MBA, if you dream to be a millionaire, whatever it may be, you better work way harder than everyone else. No one cares how hard you work. Absolutely no one gives two craps about how hard you work, how many hours you spend in the gym. You know what they care about? The end product. I will be the first one to tell you that you can work as hard, you can work as hard as you want, and if you don't perform, there's obviously something missing there there's obviously something missing. You are not doing everything in your power. You can post on Instagram, post on social media, like, oh, look at me dribble around these cones. Justin Jaworski said it the best himself. Who cares if you can dribble around a cone? No one cares, no one cares. You know what they wanna see? You make a three-pointer, you be able to dunk, you be able to win games. Stop posting all that crap, move in silence. Move in silence. Prove to yourself that you can work hard before you can prove to everyone else that you can work hard.
1: Well, where does that come from? It comes from parents. It comes from coaches. And certainly there has to be an external force driving you or pushing you in the right direction. If, if you had said to me, Ronan, 20 years ago, that I would have a facility like I have for training, the worked the number of athletes which is now in the thousands that i've worked with that i would have the property that i have i would have said you're delusional or on drugs cuz i grew up in northeast philly in a row home no grass all concrete blacktop poor very poor i used to duct tape my sneaks when they get holes in them we were poor to realize I have what I have now, and it's been through teaching, through coaching, hard work, learning the game, and being driven. This was not what I wanted, it's what I achieved, but it was only achieved because I wanted to continue coaching, and how else could I do it besides set up my own facility and magnet the people to come here? but it wasn't on my radar screen. This wasn't where it was gonna be. This is what happened, and you've seen it. We now have a sand pit for training. We have the dribbling station. We have the passing station. I've run out of space to do what I possibly could do. I have thought about doming the outdoor court, but you know what, candidly, where I am at this point in my life, and to invest in that, I probably wouldn't be around to collect on the investment. So uh, this is where it is at this point but I'm very happy with what I'm doing and how we're doing and I have great people working with me. And one of your thoughts was a quote or two, right? Yeah. That would be very important. And actually, I, I thought of two. Oh, I love it. <laughs> two. One is from my son, and it's on that wall. And it's about the word Legacy. You are part of my legacy, and so are thousands of other kids, and how you coach and what you're doing right now, and all the players that have gone through our program are part of my legacy that will live on long after me because they will coach and teach their kids, and their kids will teach and coach their kids. Discipline, respect, accountability, responsibility for what you do on and off the court. And the second quote I took from the Wall Street Journal, on a survival course, <laughs> was a survival quote. Athletes don't rise to the occasion, they sink to the level of their training. I'll say it again, because we used to say this as coaches and players, athletes <laughs> rise to their occasion. Well, that's another bser. you're blowing smoke. Athletes don't rise to the occasion, they achieve to the level of their training or sink to it, yeah. and that's a life skill. As hard as you train, you'll be successful academically, physically, emotionally, mentally, basketball. So if these kids train and they are over challenged dribbling four basketballs, if we have a harness on them, if we have a rim on the that cylinder that's four inches wider and shrinks the cylinder for them, those things allow you to achieve at a different level. So athletes, that to me is, goes well beyond basketball. It's a survival quote, but I've used it for basketball and put it on the wall, because I think all of us, as you know, I, a hip replacement and a knee replacement in a period of seven months, and last six weeks ago I had COVID, so within the last nine months, I've had three pretty serious things happen to me. I'm smiling, I'm happy, I'm putting 15,000 steps on a day, I'm working out religiously, and I'm appreciative that I have what I have. I'm here with you. Who would have thought this possible three years ago when you were in high school, right? And here you are, and I'm flattered with this, I love it. A former player coming back to interview and talk to me, I hit the lottery, (laughs) and I believe that. I hit the lottery, and we, there are a lot of ways we can hit the lottery. We think of it in financial terms, but personal terms, relationships, friendships, I hit the lottery every day. I have a lot of people that are good to me, that care about me, are invested in me, and you're an example. I'm flattered that, that I was asked to do this. I really feel it. I, I told people, Ronan is <laughs> is doing an interview with me on a podcast. I've never done a podcast. I've seen him. MBA in college, but I've never done one. And I feel fortunate. I really feel this is a big deal. Uh, I can say I did my first podcast (laughs) and I did it with a former player of mine whose parents treated me like gold when I was working with you. Your dad and mom spoiled me. So lottery time for me, Ronan.
0: Coach, something that I've learned, and obviously I appreciate all the kind words. They're awesome. I I don't want to miss that on the camera, but (laughs) Um, I've realized that being 20 years old has taught me some things, that you need to appreciate life right now, that you can't worry about tomorrow so much if you can do today that's okay. <laughs> that's that's all that you need to be able to do. It's not going to be able, like you said, you hit the lottery. That's awesome. If you could look at every single one of your players and say that I've done everything that I can in my power, that's to me at the end of the day what I want to do. If I can say that to everyone that I've interviewed, that I've given everything that I have, I can to potentially be able to grow their business, be able to have a good conversation for you guys out there to be able to learn something rather than sitting on your phone and watching some dumb YouTube video. I hope that you guys were able to learn something from Coach Koch. Again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was awesome. Is there anything that you want to plug before uh, we turn off the mics and go on with our day?
1: Well, I know the people that have watched this, They, they certainly recognize the name. And, uh, People that have gone through this, uh, as I said to you before we started, I didn't even realize that our website is no longer functional. My business does not depend on the website, it depends on referrals, it's word of mouth, and people know what we have to offer. For some people, this is a meal ticket, it's a great item for them. For other people, it's too much work, It's, it's almost like the plague. It's too difficult to deal with. It's not meant for everybody. That's why there's an 87 and a 13. I like to think that we're going to create a lot of 13s and turn some of the average players up a couple notches or two. So I'm very fortunate to do what I do every, almost daily. I went from seven days a week now I'm down to four. But I know that we offer one of the best, if not the best, training facilities and operations in the state the props that we have, traffic lights, the sand pit, the random clock, the the skills that we're teaching, I'll match anybody that's out there with what we have. And I'll go head to toe anybody that thinks that they have a facility or the knowledge or the experience that we have. So this has been a fun item for me. Uh, I get a chance to share experiences and at the same time, Ronan, I get a couple things off my chest um, that have bothered me over the years that I feel uh, were imperfections that I wish I could correct, but I can't, but at least I'm aware that as a coach you're going to make mistakes and you can't always rectify them, you can't change them, but Um, You certainly can go go correctable down the line. So this was a great opportunity for me to ventilate for a different audience instead of talking to peers and some coaches to get it out there that as a coach, as you said, we're going to be imperfect. We're going to make mistakes. But you have to recognize them and correct them.
0: Coach. I love it. Again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Guys, that is a, it for another episode of the Ronan Bell Show. If you guys want to hit that follow button, that would mean a lot to me. It would be really awesome if you guys can stay up to date whenever a new podcast comes out. By this time, I release three podcasts a week for quick shots. One interview style just like this, but two others that are 10 minutes, a little bit shorter, so you guys hadn't really full, pay attention to the full thing. Also, I have merch available at theronanbellshow.com. By this time I have done a hundred dollar cash giveaway if you guys were interested in that mm. and missed out. But here's the thing, I can be able to do more if you guys keep buying merch, if you were able to be so kind to donate to this podcast. I can everything that I do, everything that I earn goes straight back to you guys to produce more content, to produce more merch, to produce more giveaways. I cannot do this without you guys. It would be awesome if you could theronanbellshow.com, anchor.com for the, support, uh, for the donation link. And other than that, guys, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I did that out of order again. But anyway, guys, I hope all of you are getting through whatever you're going through. Have a good rest of your day. And as always, y'all just keep on keeping on.